Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Graveside Picnic. This is your host, this disembodied voice coming out from your headphones. Who is it? Well, it's Carlo. It's Carlo. I'm not sort of haunting your headphones right now or anything like that. I'm just talking to you. Uh, and we're going to, we have a nice graveside style story. Wow, say that five times fast. And uh, for this story, we have brought none other than repeat guest Ty Black, who we brought back. Uh, we're bringing back. Um, I mean, we 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 cast the appropriate spell, uh, you know, made the sprinkled the appropriate reagents over the grave. And Ty has returned to us from the previous graveside uh, episode. How you doing, Ty? I'm doing good. Uh, a little known fact, uh, the words of that spell are, uh, hey, you want to do another coming-of-age story set during Halloween? <laughs> but but no, this is like, uh, this is like, um, <laughs> it sounds like a Bradbury uh, premise, but uh, <laughs> this is very far from a Bradbury uh, style or, or tone. Uh, that story is, uh, just in case I, I didn't mention it already, it's called Pork Pie Hat uh, by none other than the late great Peter Straub uh, from actually uh, from his collection called Interior Darkness. So uh, RIP to a, to a great one. Um, Indeed. Honestly, uh, I, I, I am in tr- truly, I am impressed by his, uh, his writing style. And I, I mean, I, I, I first came into contact with Straub through the talisman and honestly um you know just like a lot of <laughs> a lot of works that king is associated with there are some flaws in it uh some very bad ones in certain cases um but but at the same time i do think that uh that Straub sort of made old stevie up his game uh, uh, craft wise at least yeah uh, i agree with that um uh, in fact, you know, in uh, discussions with you, it's it's hard trying to find a writer who's the stylistic equivalent of of uh, Straub just because he's that fucking good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, I tried to think of a contemporary of his, and the best I came up with was Shirley Jackson. <laughs> mm, I can see that. I mean, uh, of of the. Uh, I- I hesitate to say newer because, like, uh, Caitlin R. Kiernan, they've been around for, for a while now. So, but I do think that Kiernan manages to feel somewhat like that, but is doing their own, they're off on their own wavelength and frequency oh, completely. Definitely. definitely. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, 
So yeah, this is as as you said, a coming of age story, which is uh, sort of hidden in a um, the, the the most uh, white bro thing that you can think of, which is a grad student who's really into jazz, man. The <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'd previously bounced off uh, Straub's work um, because of just how incredibly white and boomer it was and uh i kind of rolled my eyes when i was like oh god we're starting with a jazz man oh please <laughs> lord and uh and uh, you know it speaks to how damn good he is that uh i was hooked by the end of the first page mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's i i do think that um and, you know, this, God, ever since I started reading it, uh, you know, I've got the boss baby problem, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I think a lot about the layers that the story has to it and how sort of carefully um, Straub omits certain things until the very end where he brings it all together. And even then... Was that what really happened? We're not entirely sure. Uh, you know, so this, this, you know, as, as I keep on thinking about it, I'm like, wow, you know, this is very much, this has got some Wolfian vibes. I'm like, mm, well, <laughs> and, uh, again, boss baby problem, you know? And uh, I got it from the other end, and that uh, uh, I was bringing up uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Young Goodman Brown as, mm. you know, two, two, two stories where I felt genuinely lost while while reading them and uh they both cover the territory of uh naive folk discovering uh essentially open secrets Mm -hmm. and uh yeah 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 it is you you, i think you nailed it on the head the minute you mentioned it and i haven't read like uh young goodman brown and Oof, decades yes, but i do remember like the 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 turn that it takes um <laughs> spoilers for a uh, 200 plus uh, <laughs> year old story <laughs> go read a book you philistines um uh, anyway uh the the theme of like you said it's it's got a, a very sort of um like uh young goodman brown definitely has that puritanical idea right at its core where it's the the wilderness is you know very much like the wilderness of the soul and therefore you know it's very dangerous out there because that's where the devil is you know um and so you if you wander around in the forest or something like that you know you are in uh not only earthly but uh spirit complete spiritual peril you know it's uh, and and of course, um, I do I do like that uh, young Goodman Brown. It's not just simply like uh, like his soul is stained or anything like that. He he actually sees something, which is you know basically everyone else is doing rituals out there. You know they're doing Cthulhu dances around a fire, and he has to come back. And apparently he's the like he's the uh, the guy that uh, what's what's the saying? If you're not sure who the asshole in the group is, it's you. <laughs> it's you. So he has to go back to to town knowing that he's the asshole. No one ever told him. <laughs> and he only got more bitter from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so it does have like uh, pork pie hat does have elements of that where um, and it, 
Did you ever read uh, Ghost Story, for instance? Uh, I have not. The two novels I've read by him are, are um, uh, A Dark Matter and um, a Floating Dragon. Mm, okay. I have not read either one of those. I think the two that I read uh, recently, Ghost Story, and way, like, way before I was really sort of ready for it, uh, Shadowlands, which is, uh, that's a little intense <laughs> for, like, a, an 11 or 12-year-old. <laughs> what? There's, like, a torturous crucifixion scene, and it has to do with stage magic? What the fuck? Um Anyway, uh, so so in Pork Pie Hat, uh, it, it reminded me because he he sort of I think he uses this uh, in Ghost Story as well, where there is like um, it's not only wilderness but also the the sort of like the weird outskirts of a community that you know like you get these uh, basically squatting squatter towns that have built up around an existing community that's you know sort of you know middle class or lower middle class maybe even working class but these are people that are just basically uh it it feels very much like young goodman brown because basically in uh ghost story and in this story uh the in this story it's called the backs which is like a weird shanty town that's sort of the fuck in the forest somewhere <laughs> separated from the main the main town um feels like uh basically like you are you are entering a place where you know like a a, a den of a den of uh scum and villainy you know uh, basically and it kind of uh you know as you were saying it touches on the on the weird geography it's uh when i first uh first read it i had no idea how things were spatially related to each other. Mm -hmm. And then in the read through, uh, I, I paid much more attention to that and it was still difficult to tease out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, um, so, so let's, let's get into it because, uh, I forget the, the name of the main character. I don't know, uh, the, the guy that's writing the story. I don't remember I don't if his think, name, if he's named, I don't think he is. Yeah, me neither, but it's fine. Um, so, yeah, the narrator um, is uh, basically in grad school in New York City. Uh, it seems that he's come from Indiana uh, from a, you know, like, obviously from a smaller, less... Uh, Less culturally culturally diverse area uh, in 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 all ways, shapes, and forms. That's not just you know racially um, to New York City, and you know I think he says that you know uh, something like more wealth of you know bars, uh, you know like parlors, cafes, all that shit um, in one you know a couple of city blocks and in all of the state of Indiana or something like that. Uh, so so he's sort of. You get the feeling that he's sort of going a little hog wild once he's gotten to the big city. And I, I think that before, like he has a, uh, an interest in jazz, uh, but not just any jazz, cool jazz. <laughs> I, I did like that because that is such a pretentious bullshit thing. <laughs> if you were a connoisseur of jazz or whatever musical thing is like, you don't just listen to 
any, you know, music. You listen to the cool version of it. Um, but, uh, but so, uh, he is basically, um, made aware of a, a musician that is basically known by hat or pork pie hat. Um, and that is basically the name that we're given throughout the, throughout the story. He, he's, we don't get his given name. It's just simply his stage name. Um, and so, you know, there, there's some, he sees him, uh, perform, uh, he's really taken in by his, uh, his mastery of the music. He plays the saxophone, uh, and, uh, he, he's, he's actually taken in by the performance, but even more so when he is, he is, uh, Originally, in the the uh, the place that he hears him in, he's actually listening to another musician called John Hawes, uh, who he just thinks is the greatest, uh, and then realizes uh, once he watches uh, Port Pie Hat arrive on the scene, do do like a complete set with uh, Hawes, and realizes that um, that Hawes uh, basically worships the guy. Uh, thinks that he's the greatest. And so that sort of really sparks the narrator's curiosity. Yeah. The, uh, I, I have read more than my fair share of books where people try to describe music and uh, Straub here um, t- doesn't describe the music at all, but it's so grounded in the, in the narrator's psyche that you believe that Hat is this grand master of jazz who, you know, has influenced all these people without ever once, you know, quote unquote, hearing um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, his music at all. And it's, uh, and it's masterfully done. It's masterful. Well, I mean, so let's, if we could go deviate slightly, because that is something... Interestingly enough, I feel like part of the uh, the really interesting thing stylistically that Straub uh, does throughout the story is that he is writing in a style that is almost jazz-like. You are forced to interpret you know, yes. what's happening. Uh, you know, th- there is there is a a text that you're reading. And, and that's, I mean, you're forced to interpret what's happening. Uh, you are told uh, once the uh, the story that Pork Pie Hat uh, gives him about his childhood, um, you are told initially that, uh, yeah, uh, you know, th- this isn't exactly word for word what he said. I had to sort of rearrange things and, uh, you know, basically, and I, I've, I've rearranged things so they, they're understandable. And I've eliminated a lot of the, the cursing because Pork My Hat has a severe, <laughs> a severe potty mouth. Uh, yeah. it, it was, I think he says he couldn't go four words without say, muttering mother, motherfucker or something to that effect. Which, a man after my own heart. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, and, and that's, uh, and that's, and you're, and you're right that, it, that the story itself is very much like a jazz piece it's like first time i read it it's like the big the big thing was the ending and then mm-hmm. going back and through it it's like the story flipped and you start seeing all these other beats and it's like the beginning of the story is the one that hits is the hits hardest and so 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to re- reread it again just to see what, what changes about the story, uh, as, uh, as you, uh, uh get deeper and deeper into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, even like, um, so, so this is, this is the anecdote, uh, that, that I want to, I, I want to, we were talking a little bit uh, offline. I, I held off because it's it's sort of funny. So I, uh, I I started reading this and I got you know it's it's divided into three parts. Uh, this is uh, I'm gonna guess it's at the very least a novelette, if not a short novella, because it's like a, a like sixty pages long or something or something to that effect. Um, and so it's divided into three parts. Um, the first part is, you know, basically, you know, uh, meeting, you know, the, the meet cute between Hat and the narrator. Uh, uh, the second part is Hat inviting over on Halloween, Halloween night to his hotel room where he's staying to tell him a story, the story that we're going to discuss a little, uh, a little bit deeper in a bit. Uh, and then... As soon as I finished reading that second part where there's like a natural tapering off point, I saw part three. I was like, oh, I'll just put this down and, and come back to it in a bit. <laughs> and I waited a couple of days and I finished. I was like, what the fuck am I reading? What I, I had lost. I had lost the thread because it's so sort of like uh, it, it, it is really well crafted. But in such a way that the minute I started reading it again, I was like, I I, what happened again? <laughs> so on the reread, uh, I, I'm guessing I got the uh, I got what you got from the first read through. So, uh, which you know at the like at the end, I was I I'd already sort of like because I I'd, I'd read the end already. I, I had started putting it together like in the in the reread. So it's like oh okay okay okay. You know, at, at the very least there is a version that is supp- that you're supposed to sort of like take away from uh the the story, right? Um but there there's there's at least one other level that it, it escapes me because I don't even know what's going on there. Yeah, and it's um and th- and that and I, I don't even think I got to that level because uh because the, the 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 more you question it, the more you wonder. Well, what's real? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> Where, it, where's from, the line? <laughs> yeah, like from that first uh, section, there's a part here, and I'm trying to find it here, um, where the narrator is uh, like as part of his. Here it is. Okay, um, where he's given an assignment, uh, you know, basically of uh, reading Vanity Fair. Uh, and then also he had to write like five pages uh, regarding a Joyce, um, something about Joyce, right? So let me let me um, let me just read that. On Friday, I listened to the to Professor Marcus being brilliant about Vanity Fair and read my laborious and dim-witted Joyce paper on each of the five pages of which the word epiphany appeared at least twice to my fellow scholars. The seminar leader smiled and nodded throughout the performance, and when I sat down, metaphorically picked up my little paper between thumb and finger and slit its throat. Some of you students are so certain about things, he said. And I feel like that is sort of like the thesis statement for ex- the, the entire story, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's and that's one of the, the uh, you, know, you know, of course, 
nowadays every story is about uh, you know is marketed as being about trauma but uh, i feel that this story captures it better than most of those 90 percent of those because you have this this core of events and you're able to say what those core of events are as we will once we uh uh, move deeper into the story but still at the same time you still what, don't know what, what actually happened, happened. yeah <laughs> so, and that so, feels much more uh, much more real to what uh actual trauma feels like yeah i mean uh so so let's maybe let's get into it because uh so the the narrator you know agrees to um to meet uh with hat at his hotel room uh which you know there, there's a an entire sequence which is kind of funny in a um sort of a, a clever grad school kind of guy way right so he's like well i i he wasn't staying here he didn't live there you know he said that he didn't like i i did love that uh uh hat tells him like they're out in like an alleyway and hat's just like chugging some gin directly from a <laughs> bottle after offering him uh taste he says taste he's like what here <laughs> he hands him like straight gin oh, God. <sighs> i'm getting shivers just thinking about just tepid straight gin uh but um uh, the, there's a funny sequence when he's saying, oh, yeah, and then I got something to do you know, up in uh, Long Island. Uh, and he's like, so how am I going to find you in Long Island? Oh, you do not want to go anywhere near Long Island. <laughs> I'm at such and such a hotel in Manhattan. And uh, that that was I, I found that to be sort of funny because he's like he comes straight out of like he I imagined him like um, those moments when you see Mr. Magoo open his eyes real wide where he's surprised. <laughs> Just like, just like that moment of horror is like, no, you don't want to go to Long Island at all. <laughs> anyway, so um, so then they meet up there, and uh, you know, there's there's some, uh, from what I understand, the perennial uh, kids on the street throwing firecrackers at each other <laughs> so, on Halloween. You know, go figure, right? Kids being kids and being shitty <laughs> and trying to blow their fingers off, which is something that Hat says. Uh, and then he, he sort of talks about, uh, how he links that, um, rather well, I feel with like, yeah, they're just trying to find, you know, sort of like scares on Halloween. And I'm going to tell you a story about, you know, how me and my buddy way back when, you know, we're looking for scares on Halloween too. And in, not in so many words, but, you know, better done than that. So anyway, and, and kind of the question that he leaves with the, the narrator and with the audience in general is, uh, is like, did we find it? Mm, yes, yes, exactly right. So so um, so then proceeds. Basically, it's 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 Halloween. You know, the uh, the, the hat is a young hat. Uh, I think it was 11 years old or whatever. Yes. Um, at the time is invited by his bestie uh by the name of D Sparks. And D Sparks apparently is a preacher's son who of course in stereotypical preacher son uh sort of uh ways he is a hellion, he wants to go to trick or treating and then sort of drag a hat with him to the backs and go see what they what mischief they can find over there. 
because you know they might find a dead body. Who knows? You know, it'd be cool. <laughs> and, uh, and a brilliant thing uh, and within that section, because uh, 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 up until this point, uh, Hat has only mentioned his father in passing. He hasn't really gone into any any detail whatsoever. And uh, and he and Strav tips his hand there in that um, you know. Uh, D is trying to prove that he's not a Buster Brown, and then Hat says, "And I was going to prove that I wasn't a Buster Brown either." So let let's let's deviate real quick because I had to look that up. I I I, I recognized the name, but mainly because it was a brand of shoes at a time when I was a kid. <laughs> I did not know that Buster Brown was like this. Um, he's sort of like a little Lord Fauntleroy uh, dressed in like this. Uh, Sort of pink, uh, very foppish um, sort of way to dress. He, he like I, I'm not I'm not exaggerating too much. He 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 does look like a little Lord Fauntleroy with like a wide brimmed uh, hat, uh, and uh, he's he's basically like uh, how would you characterize him? I, I guess a goody two shoes. Well, he's a goody two shoes, but also like defiant at weird times. So, yeah, mainly um, he became a vehicle for the cartoonist to have like maybe a um, one or two panel comic where then Buster Buster Brown turns around with his uh, his dog and I forget his dog's name um, to sort of offer some sort of wisdom, you know. I don't know. It, it's 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 like turn of the century type shit. So it, it's probably way out of step with you know current you know what what current uh, uh, humor would be. Uh, but but I got the feeling it's very much like if you think that um, Family Circus is a laugh riot, Buster Brown is right for is definitely right for you. <laughs> it's a. Uh, 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 uh. I guess this this story takes place in the 30s or 40s, somewhere in there, and mm-hmm, uh, yeah. it could be a shorthand for uh, nerd shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you you read Buster Brown? <laughs> I mean, they they Wedgie couldn't dunk. even give you a swirly because I guess there were still outhouses. So I guess you just sort of get dunked. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> a uh, a different kind of uh, backwoods baptism there. <laughs> God, I just grossed myself out thinking about that. Um, uh, so so yeah, so they're out to sort of prove to each other almost, right? It's it's almost like this weird brinksmanship. And so um, there's a point. I mean, we we could sort of jump ahead a little bit, but but to give a general um, feeling, right? Uh, both of them are wearing sort of like ghosts, like straight out of uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, right? They're wearing ghost, you know, sheets with two holes and for eyes and whatnot. But Hat's sheet is his is actually a a, a, a hand me down from his brother, his older brother, who uh, was you know taller than him, and so then therefore he kept on like you know sort of like tripping, and the eye the eye holes didn't line up correctly and stuff like that. So he's he's having a hell of a time, sort of just regularly walking, and they decide that they're going to go off to the backs, which is 
I mean, there's no, there's no actual, you know, grid. There's no electricity. There's basically nothing out there except some shacks in the woods. And uh, part of, you know, what what I want to say before we jump ahead a little bit is the fact that it is like it is really blind, like dark, dark, dark. No one can see shit. And Hat can't see shit times two because he still has that fucking sheet that keeps on sliding out of his, like (laughs) sliding into his field of vision. So he keeps on losing track of where D is. And D is all, you know, hot to trot. He wants to go, you know, straight. He goes straight down into the, the backs. He's, he's following like this sound that he can hear. And uh, we we could probably jump ahead because that's sort of the, like the the main uh, body of that section is them just continually hearing this I, I, a woman uh, sort of like moaning or howling or perhaps even sort of like making strange sounds that also like bleed into laughter. And, uh, you know, like uh, initially, uh, hat says that, you know, that it's, it was the sound of somebody being hurt real bad, uh, where, you know, they're hurt so bad that they, they're going a little crazy. That has one of the most chilling, um, chilling lines where he says, uh, that woman was being hurt. She wasn't just getting beat up. I knew, uh, I knew what that sounded like. She was hurt bad enough to drive her crazy. And just, mm-hmm. and uh, there's so many moments like that within the story where he'll just drop little information like that. It's like, I know what that sounded like. And it's like when you first read through that, your eyes kind of glaze over it. But then you go back through it, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that, that's what, yeah, that's exactly why, um, you know, it, it feels like the same type of writing that Wolf does, where he'll give you information, but he will not necessarily signpost it or grant it any, you know, big emphasis. Uh, <laughs> and so you sort of read over it. And because there isn't that sort of, um, that sort of hand holding, you can just sort of like your eyes slide over it. And you 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 receive the information, but you don't really understand what that means until you reread it, and you're like, oh, oh, that's not good. <laughs> and I and I, I and I love that technique of like, yeah, here's the most important information you're going to need in the story. We're just going to hang it here in the middle distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It is. Uh, I mean, it it is something that then really um, rewards uh, rereading and revisiting, right? Uh, because yeah, I, I do think that even at a um, at a at a, a basic level, uh, sort of subconsciously, y- you do notice it. Oh. It's just that you don't necessarily. Your conscious mind sort of like goes, yeah, just keep on, keep on going. But your subconscious mind goes like, hmm, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? And it gives you like that little itch where you want to go back and go like, hmm, what, what actually happened here? Exactly. Uh, and, and it really sets you up for the turn that comes in part three. Yeah. And makes yeah. it believable. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so the, the thing that was really tough about, that whole sequence 
is in fact like how how long it feels that they're hearing this woman being just like tortured or something's happening to her right and uh at one point um uh hat says that he's lost track of d he's trying to find him again and i forget if this happens after he sort of like slips and falls and, and so on and so forth but uh uh if it's before that, you know, it doesn't, you know, either way, it doesn't really matter. The, the thing is that the, the, the noise he heard shifts and he's like, oh, well, you know, now it sounds, you know, now it sounded like a witch. If it, if it was sex sounds, um, like, uh, he basically says that uh, I know that I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking that me 11 years old didn't know what sex sounds uh, you know, sound like. And so we all thought we wanted to go see because, you know, she's having sex or something like that. And it's like, nah, I mean, in my part of town, the, the walls are pretty thin and, you know, I don't know about, uh, D's parents. Maybe they, maybe Reverend's, uh, parents stop having sex after, <laughs> after they have kids. But, uh, but I knew what they sounded like. Right. And, and he is, uh, and leading up to this, he's, he's, uh, the, the hat has kind of sprinkled through these little hints towards some, maybe some, maybe there's some backwoods hoodoo. You know, there was that uh, that music hall uh, incident where somebody shot the local uh, the local gangster and uh, the witch woman touched him on the forehead and he resurrected. And so and so he kind of he's kind of building just not not. not uh, 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 too terribly much, but kind of just pointing in that direction a little bit to add to the confusion of the of what the hell are these noises, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and why the hell is this place acting the way it is? Yeah. So yeah. So um. So th- actually, both of them, both of those people that you just mentioned, which is uh, the um. If we can jump back real quick, I guess we're 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 gonna now mimic the the story a little bit by making <laughs> things difficult for for our listeners to understand by jumping back and forward. Um, Podcasting so, is jazz, you know. Uh, I can I can scat the rest of this episode if people want. They don't want that. Um, so. Uh, so uh, if we jump back, basically, um, Hat has a story that they were playing in the music hall uh, in town. And uh, Eddie Grimes, who was basically, um, you know, he's a, he's a big black guy who is, I think the description is, uh, he's been in jail more often than he's been out. Um, uh, was shot dead right on the dance floor. And... Uh, they're one of their, um, you know, I think they're, she's a neighbor of theirs or she's like a couple houses down, uh, called Mary Randolph, uh, leaned over him. She'd been dancing with him, uh, right up until then. And she leaned down and whispered in his ear and Eddie Grimes got back up and, you know, ran away. And like you said, it, it introduces this weird, like, yeah, like what the fuck is going on here? Is that real? Is that not in like for me at least uh, part of part of how I would want this story to make sense? Uh, 
would mean that I have to believe that it's real. Gotcha. Gotcha. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I but, but, but it's not, but it's not, we're not sure if it's real or not. Yeah. I have, I have no idea how to parse that. I, the closest I get is, um, well, we could, we can circle back that to, uh, to that conclusion, but, um, it's, it's one of those things where, in response to what he sees and what follows after Halloween, it's almost like he's a uh, hat is trying to add this supernatural element because having that supernatural element would make it believe, make it easier to process and accept uh, the fact that there was nothing he could do rather than face the reality. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, um, so so let's also <laughs> mention that as they're approaching the backs, um, they see a a car tearing down the drive out of there, uh, and it turns out to be the local uh, white doctor. Uh, so um, I forget. I don't think that we mentioned this previously, but I do want to point out that this is all happening in uh, what Hat calls Hatchville, Mississippi. Um, during segregation, so, you know, <laughs> yes, during segregation, you know, uh, Hat is a black man. Uh, you know, basically everyone that we've mentioned is a black man, except for the doctor that I just mentioned, who is white. But because he had, uh, he 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 had two. Uh, I think the the phrase is he had two waiting rooms. But because he uh, he would serve uh, the black community, he was essentially. A black doctor, you know, like a, a doctor for the black community. None of the white people there wanted to, to go to him, apparently. I mean, that's that's how I read it, at least. The same. Um, and so they see him, t like, tearing out of the, the backs uh, as fast as, I guess, a, uh, like, a, a Model T uh, Ford or, or, you know, actually, he's, he's in a different uh, a type of car. But, like, of that era, you know, it might have been what, he says it's, like, 50 miles an hour, so that's pretty fast still. <laughs> but not, you know, we're not talking about, like, you know, 120 miles an hour or anything like that. Anyway. The point being that they see him and Hat says that when he saw him, he looked like he like his mouth was open, like he was just basically having a continual sil silent scream. Like he was his mouth was stretched out into like a silent scream that no one could hear, uh, which is creepy in and of itself. Right. Before yes. they start hearing the woman out in the, you know, whatever the shack she's in. Right. A, a, and a uh, tend to come. What's that? Uh, a portent to come. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so so I think you had mentioned that uh, you had mentioned Hat's dad, uh, who had uh, who who Hat actually says, yeah, he was light skinned enough that uh, everyone called him red. That's what you know. That's basically what people called uh, you know light skinned black men or light skinned black people. You know, back in the day, I think black men mostly like red fox uh, i think malcolm x as well was uh cincinnati red believe it or not oh really um yeah yeah uh the only reason i know that is because <laughs> when i was reading uh it, it's in uh the autobiography of malcolm x he actually worked in a train with red fox 
that Red <laughs> Fox. I forget. I forget uh, what his his name was at the time. But yeah, in any case, that's um, incredible. <laughs> it, is, it is very a very funny bit of trivia, right? Um, but so uh, his dad is is even more light skinned than that. He he makes a point of saying that yeah, he could have passed for white if he really had wanted to, and. Uh, as a result of him being like uh, an important member of the community, he also had a nice Model T Ford. So just laying the groundwork for y'all, because as D you know, wanders the fuck off and into the darkness and uh you know like uh hat is just struggling with his he he finally just bunches up his sheet and takes it off right and he goes wandering around and apparently uh almost uh as if uh it, it's like a, a fairy tale uh d has left little bits of like his he leaves his his trick-or-treating bag pointing in a certain direction that then hat follows and then he leaves another piece of like a piece of candy here and he leaves an apple on a car and so on and so forth and then um hat lose gets turned around and and loses like he, he doesn't see the next um the next sort of clue or breadcrumb if you will right uh go ahead oh no no, no. i was just agreeing with you there mm. So, um, and then that, that's where I, I believe that's where, uh, basically he sort of slides and hits himself, uh, you know, against a giant log against the, that, that's sort of like on the edge of the water. Um, uh, and basically, uh, Eddie Grimes comes lumbering out, sees him, like actually sees him like face to face because he's taken off his disguise um, he knows who he is and sees him and points the knife away <laughs> across the water and uh, hat doesn't think about it too much and scrambles off in that direction and eventually finds D um, before he, you know, like basically gets pissed off and like tries to beat him up a little bit. He's like, what the fuck, dude, you left me out there. And, uh, and so they they slowly come up to the the cat uh, the uh, uh, residence where the uh, uh, the noises are coming from. Uh, D uh, and uh, as they do, they see a white man uh, run out with a bundle and hop in his Model T and drive off. And then mm -hmm. D D sneaks up, takes a good long look at what uh, happened inside that little uh house and then tries to stop hat from looking mm -hmm. but then hat looks in and sees this grotesque scene of this woman bleeding uh all over the place uh <laughs> mostly from her genitals and mary reynolds the quote-unquote witch there oh, mary next randolph to, yeah mary randolph mary randolph uh there trying to help her right she's she's holding her hand and basically uh when she sees hat uh the the phrase is that she her face went uh, something along the lines of that her face went blank or her face uh her expression went blank 
the same type of expression that you get when your mind is going a mile a minute or something to that effect. Um, which then, you know, it's, it's not trying to really hold your hand, but obviously there's something going on there. Right. Exactly. Um, and so it turns out D basically as they're walking back, uh, D tells him, yeah, that was Abby Montgomery, who is like a local, uh, white, you know, very wealthy family for the area who comes down and uh, basically donates a bunch of food and baskets and stuff like that to the church. Like on Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that good stuff. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, very waspy uh, do-gooderism. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, later on, we, we get we get the image, although we don't know whether... Yeah, like at that point, because all of this has happened, um, I mean, uh, you know, she she apparently, uh, you know, Hat is like, well, you know, she's dead now, and then D tells him, no, she wasn't dead, she was not dead. Uh, so in in part, I, I you know, like at, I was wondering exactly what had happened there. And, you know, one of the answers obviously is, uh, is pretty obvious after we finish the story, but I do wonder <laughs> if that is, you know, the, the whole of it, right? Because I, I don't know. I don't know. There's not really enough to go by. And it's so like, uh, the, the way it's described is that she's got like blood everywhere on her legs, on, you know, like basically on her private parts, you know, her genitals, um, the sheets are soaked, you know, so on and so forth. She is just drenched in blood. Uh, and you know, that that's where I feel like Mary Randolph comes in. If we are to sort of accept a, a supernatural, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, A supernatural, um, presence in the story. Uh, it being a horror story, it wouldn't be out of character, right? But uh, but was Mary Randolph able to really, you know, whisper <laughs> into a dead person's ear and have them come back? And we frankly have no idea. And 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 we're, since we're seeing it from hats, uh, adult hats perspective, reminiscing on what he saw as a child. It's like we, we well, we really, we really can't trust the amount of blood there. If mm-hmm. if it's an accurate statement, um, then yeah, definitely we're talking about some long term. You know, if uh, Abby survived, we're talking about some long term damage that may uh, affect her health permanently or well, or mean, death. You know? Yeah, like on, honestly, that's that's how the that story almost, you know, reaches its end, right? It's the, basically she, she eventually stops coming to the church. Uh, she feels like the, the last time that they see her, which is, uh, Thanksgiving, she does come down. She's, she's driven down and, but she doesn't really do anything. She just stands and lets the driver, uh, you know, bring in the, the offerings and uh you know the the description that's given is that she's basically so wan that she is just 
like she stopped like she 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 looks so sad and and draw like something's drawn the life of out of her right and here's where it's like well was it medical or was it supernatural is this the effect of resurrection or is this the effect of uh, of trauma and what we're and what we're we're trying to say dear listener is that if you let it this story will turn you into charlie uh, from it's always sunny in Philadelphia with the the conspiracy <laughs> board and the red thread as you try to untangle the ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, was it? Uh, basically, they don't see her again after that. Like that Christmas, she doesn't she doesn't appear again. Uh, and then uh, the last line of that little section is: five years later, she passed away, twenty six years old, and they they said she looked to be at least fifty. So, I mean, maybe that's true, but no one, you know, like we're not getting that. We're getting that like second, maybe third, fourth, fifth hand. You know, it's just a rumor, right? So who knows, right? Is it, it like you said, Ty, is it the result of foul, of magic's most foul? Or is it just simply like, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> somebody tried to do something to her and she's never been right since, you know? <laughs> And, uh, oh god uh, sorry I'm, i started thinking about what a backwoods cesarean would be and i i'm just now i'm i'm, Look, I'm gagging uh, like you'd were with the, the we we, <laughs> we we already know what the, the what the discourse around house of the dragon is let's not get into it <laughs> we don't we don't need that trouble in our life <laughs> no sir no sir um so so the the last part is really interesting because um it seems like it seems that the narrator's uh life sort of mirrors a little bit of hats right um not not hats but the the narrative of hats life right because it it's um out of the blue like hat decides that he wants to be a musician and then, like, out of the blue, the narrator's, uh, you know, like, we, we get a jump ahead, and the narrator's like, yeah, our, our marriage survived. And then suddenly, my 21-year-old 20 year son, who had not, you know, exhibited any interest in any artistic endeavors, decided that he wants to be, uh, what is it, a, um, well, hold like on, I have it right here artist. in front of me. Yeah, exactly right. He has decided to become an artist, actual type of art to be determined later, but probably to include aspects of photography, videotape, and the creation of installations. I take this as proof that he was raised in a manner that left his self-esteem intact. Which is a hilarious, <laughs> yes. honestly, it's a very droll line. <laughs> <laughs> but so and I love how I love how there's that switch from like just the 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 earnest stress of youthfulness in the beginning of trying to get all this right and then and then by the end there's just this very droll humor that just takes over the story. Yeah, it it, it feels very much like almost like gallows humor at this point, right? Because yes. um so so the the narrator manages to you know sort of massage the the entirety of Hat's story into something that he can sell or or pitch to uh what is it a magazine called Downbeat um <laughs> what what a great name for a magazine <laughs> What an ironically great name for a magazine <laughs> that is both a jazz term and uh, describes this entire story. <laughs> yes. 
So, so, so then, um, he, he runs into Hawes, uh, later and Hawes is like, wait, you, so you cheated? And he's like, no, I, I tried to, you know, I tried to make sense of it. You know, uh, he, he sort of comes clean a little bit and, and Hawes sort of like chuckles and says, yeah, well, you know, hat, hat was always known for not letting facts get in the way of a good story. So, so there we have, you know, right as we're about to, uh, we're, we're watching the curtains quiver before they decide to come down. Um, and already we're getting all sorts of like, uh, sort of like, uh, stepping away from, you know, exactly what we, we read, right? Exactly. And, uh, and another thing, uh, another line within that, the, that part is, um, uh, it's either Halls and the narrator. One of them says that, uh, the reason he spoke that kind of, the reason Hat spoke kind of that code is so that he would only be understood by the person he wanted them, he wanted to understand him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, G's please is the uh, the phrase that he would use to. I want to play blues and G. Uh, uh, so um, one thing that we've forgotten to mention, right? Um, there was a another musician that the narrator mentions, I think, earlier, uh, which is uh, what is his name? God damn it! I just saw it. Uh, I got it. It's not right. Well. Gilbert, no way. Grant Kilbert. There we go. Kilbert. Grant Kilbert. Um, and so Grant Kilbert, uh, basically, um, I think there's a weird code where uh, one of Hat's last is it last performances where he mentions. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. It's when he's in the alleyway before he accepts the, the interview, he mentions, uh, like three or four different songs. Uh, so like he says, like flamingo, uh, was it too marvelous for words? And I forget there's, there's a couple of other ones. And when, um, the narrator looks it up, he finds out that, uh, these are, uh, Four songs that uh, were on Kilbert's first album, Cool Breeze, uh, and that, and, and the reason and, that he played him those the, that night um, was because he had just gotten news that Grant had died, mm-hmm, and right. so and so when they go out into the alley, he's like, uh, uh, you know, and uh, the way uh, Hat told the audience about this, why he was late for his own performance. Is uh, you know, he says, uh, you know, my my son died. Mm, and, exactly right. And then he, when he when the narrator confronts him in the alleyway, he's like, "What son? I got a son of Long Island." And then he's yeah, like, that, oh, that leads oh, to I the fun- Yeah, <laughs> that that's where that's where the, the the funny line. Yeah, that's where it leads to the that funny line. Is oh, you don't need to go to Long Island for anything. Um, but um, but yeah. So so then uh, it turns out near the end that Kilbert um, was known for occasionally, and depending again, depending on who he was talking to, uh, mentioning that he was part black, and uh, but he would go back and forth on it, and also like basically his entire career was essentially. Uh, 
you know, like he, he had a lot of trouble in his life. Uh, he, he, he was basically doing stick up jobs to, uh, to support his heroin habit. But, you know, when he was on tour, uh, and, and when he was on tour once with Hawes and Hat, uh, Hawes mentions, yeah, you know, Hat didn't talk much at all. Uh, and so, it's funny because Kilbert sat next, you know, Hat would let Kilbert sit next to him and just nod along whenever he talked, uh, which then sort of like leaves things open because at the end you're like, well, hold on. There's a Model T. There was Hat's dad who is very light skinned, enough so to pass for white. Uh, the fact that Kilbert's parents, uh, two plum, like a, a plumber and his wife, uh, in, in another town in Mississippi, I forget the name right now, um, who, when they were angry or drunk or, or perhaps both, would just tell him straight up that he wasn't their son. Um, and that they better be thankful that they adopted him. Right. Exactly. Uh, all sorts, all of it sort of, starts to point to the person who ran off with the bundle (laughs) in the model T (laughs) and he's 11 years younger. He's exactly 11 years younger. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so in here, and here's where we reach the crux because uh, after that night, you know, hat is expecting, Oh, there's a white man, white woman, uh, uh, and 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 you know the, the shady side of town where there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of black folk, and he's expecting you know just the worst to happen as he should, and so uh, a a uh, developmentally disabled woman gets murdered and buried in a shallow grave. A couple of days later, that gets blamed on the the gangster who was resurrected, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Eddie Grimes. Eddie mm-hmm. Grimes. <laughs> yeah, was it uh, Eleanor Monday? Yeah, Eleanor what a name. Monday. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So that gets uh, basically they pin it on Eddie Grimes, and uh, the 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 line is really chilling. It, you know, from what we know, like from, I mean, from what we know then and what we've seen now, it's like yeah, the cops. Uh, basically, he had uh, he had murdered in the eyes of the cops. He had murdered a white woman, and they wanted revenge. Yes. So they basically like send every patrol car there and just shoot up the place. Uh, and they, they basically kill him dead, you know, just no, no apprehension, just kill him. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, just, a a straight up murder. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the Mary Randolph, mm-hmm. Mary Randolph gets her, you know, she's starting to show signs of stress and, uh, and uh, discuss well, toward Hat. Uh, Hat Hat mentions that uh, he he passes her house a couple times, and she comes out and starts like sort of like almost like shadowing him. Yeah, and he gets sort of upset about that. And uh, not long after that, he passes by her house again, and he hears he seems to hear like like the sound of a muffled scream like someone's like when someone covers your mouth and you're trying to scream and it turns and the next day neighbor walks in on her she's um uh, her throat's been cut 
and the cops rule it a suicide, and the, the friendly Baptist minister goes to the cops, supposedly goes to the cops, uh, to ask them about, to ask them about it, and they give, you know, clear case of suicide. Yeah, she had a pot cooking, clear case of suicide. Clearest case of suicide we've ever seen around these here parts. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, uh, and, and of course, the reveal comes that the minister of that Baptist church was Hat's dad. Well, yeah, because it turns out that, um, that there was only ever one one Baptist church in the town. <laughs> so, so you know, D. Sparks, did he ever exist? Or is he a complete fabrication of hats? Uh, I part of, when I first read it, I wanted to believe that the story we're told is older, is basically older hat essentially trying to warn the younger version of himself. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's, uh, they mentioned uh, in the newspaper articles that, uh, let's see here. Da -da -da -da. Um, where is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Reverend, Jas Reverend Jasper Sparks of Miller Hills uh, Presbyterian Church delivered a sermon on the subject of cri uh, Christian forgiveness. Uh, apprentices just after Thanksgiving, the Reverend Sparks' son, Rodney, was sent off with the blessings and congratulations of all of Hatchville to go to a, pri a private academy in Charleston, South Carolina. Hmm. And so that's that's from a uh, uh, one of the newspapers that the narrator pulls for. So I th I mostly think he's real, but I'm yeah, not entirely sure. It might be a different Sparks. I mean, it might yeah. be a, uh, someone different from from that, but you got the kind of got this ambiguity of this of this black family being able to move in white circles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also feels like, to your point, like uh, it, it did feel like um, it, it does actually fit. And feel like D becomes like a a way to keep the trauma at arm's length. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he becomes like like so maybe a D Sparks actually existed, but was he actually involved in any of the things that we heard Hat talk about, <laughs> or or is this simply a vehicle or a, a, a device, right, I should say, for uh, Hat to basically um, shift all his sort of uh, resentment towards his younger self for actually doing that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Onto a, a constructed uh, character. And the and, and especially someone like a um, a hellion preacher kid, uh, you know that they that that person would be known around town, and you can kind of see you know just this uh, you know another country kid who's mostly lonesome and all by himself, looking at that and kind of fantasizing something up there, and then. 
All right, and we're back. We apparently Hat himself came from beyond fiction to stop us from telling you this, the 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 last parts of the story and our our our, our theories about it. <laughs> That's what we should do. Just cut, just to release it with it cut off like that, so we just add to the ambiguity of the story. <laughs> oh my God, the, <laughs> they got got by Peter Straub or Hat or who knows. The ghost of Peter Straub, just you know. Um, and, and so, and so uh, at the point, at this, so at this point, what we've got is, uh, Hat saw something involving this white woman and his dad, and it's been mentioned over and over that his dad was a bit of a ladies' man, and that he was terrified of him. And we have these. We have Eddie getting got, and we have um, the the white woman involved dying young for unknown reasons, and their neighbor, the supposed witch, getting her throat slashed. Yep. And we, and we, and, and we don't have, and we can piece together that it was Hat's dad behind it all that more than likely like there was you know this this woman um in uh doing good works and whatnot you know got to know his dad and an affair was started and she got pregnant and it led to all this violence and murder and mm-hmm. and so now hat has to live with this revelation that his his pastor dad his uh, the dad who trained him on the instruments is a huge is a is a murderous scumbag yep pretty much i mean and and so i mean that's uh, but but even that it's so it's so edible, right? <laughs> yes, it's it's, that, it's it's too neat of an explanation to to what the story actually gives. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing, right? Because that is the the conclusion. Like all the pieces that you're given sort of lead to that to to you putting it together that way. But is it? Is it really? <laughs> uh, and and there's so much. Um, there's so many little uh, bits of you know, like you know, we we'd mentioned d- did. D actually exists. I mean, like the D that is in the story, was he actually there? Uh, he might have existed for all we know, but was he actually present? Uh, because he, he's actually from another town rather than the town that that Hat's from, right? And so it, it's, it's very strange. Um, it, like nothing is really cut and dry. And, you know, basically, by the time the story is is winding to a close, uh, Hat, who, you know, has basically had a long life of abusing alcohol quite a bit. Um, the story describes back, him as being cloaked in this sadness and having to bear this sadness. Oh God, that was yeah. That that's such a great line. Like uh, he he was he was sad for the universe. I think is the what the yes. line says, and it's like 
man, doesn't that fucking like that really sort of captures like a, a weird depression that you just have. Yeah. You're not really sad for yourself. You're just sort of like almost melancholy for the, the universe existing the way it does, you know? And, uh, and so like the, one of the, the last lines is, you know, like basically, you know, like him mulling over what exactly happened that night, uh, every Halloween, because he, he has like a superstition that he doesn't want to be out of his rooms on Halloween. Um, you know, it, it makes sense. Uh, not, not, not necessarily because there's, you know, ooh, bad stuff, but mainly, you know, very psychologically, like he is sort of reliving that. Uh, and, and, in like you, you had mentioned something earlier, Ty, that, uh, that is absolutely true about this story. It, it does capture a type of traumatic response, which is the, the response of just completely trying, trying to repress and keep your mind from thinking about something for decades. And, and, you know, so, so every Halloween, that's, that's when the stopper comes out, you know? And, and you think about most of Hat's career is he spent it around the things around the the people that once again may or may not have been involved because he was in his family band up until they were about to get big and then they were going to go on tour on Halloween and he left the band completely mm. and then yeah, that's true. he gets into another band with a guy who might have been the child that resulted from that horrific evening and he's mm -hmm. a mentor to him. And so he is, yeah. He, he is no matter, even though he's in Manhattan now at the center of, uh, 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 of the, of the world at the time. And yet the horror of Mississippi is just following him around everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really something, um, you know, if anything, he he's sort of haunted by that, uh, by by that event uh, itself, uh, and what the consequences are, you know, for the rest of his life. And uh, yeah, it, it is it is strange, right? That um, he he has like this public uh, sort of performative grieving uh, for what would be his half brother right if if we're to believe the the story uh that were you know like the pieces of the story that were given that would be his half brother and not his son but he is his son via you know like his mentorship um anyway he, it, he's the father to that kid that his dad never was that too yeah yeah that that does make sense um god you know one's a heroin addict and the other one's a you know almost always in the bottle so i mean <laughs> I, I see nothing going wrong here <laughs> nothing at, yeah that, that couldn't go wrong at all so i mean honestly this is such a great story and it's so it's weird because I, I was almost expecting it to have uh, more of a, a, a supernatural 
bent to it, but Same. this is very much psychological horror. Uh, and it's done so well. I feel like it's just layered in so meticulously and so carefully. Yes. That it, go ahead. It, and it makes you, it makes you feel that sadness of the universe. And that's what makes it so great and so re rewarding as a story. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because it's none of the things. So, so I think that the, the, the funny thing about if we're to accept the story as offered as not having any supernatural, uh, sort of uh, a tinge to it, or th there's no presence of the supernatural in it. Um, this is just a very sort of everyday darkness. Um, just people being shitty, being shitty to each other, uh, and, you know, sort of try in the, in the, uh, I guess in the, pursuit of escaping consequences uh to preserve your you know your your standing in the community uh you do just horrible things but there's no there's no like there's no monster uh you know in, in the in the supernatural sense of it it's if we're to believe the story it's just hat's dad yeah and and hat's dad has like the least uh, the least said about him in the story well yeah i mean but that's because you know that's because it's it's very carefully told yep. by hat himself right yeah he, he doesn't want like he doesn't want to face it because that's that's the exactly. what is it that's the last line of the story is basically what is it um uh, hold on. I think that in some small closed corner deep within himself, he knew who had been the real object of these feelings and therefore had to lock himself inside his hotel room and gulp gin until he obliterated the horror of his own thoughts. I mean, fuck, man. <laughs> like he doesn't he doesn't want to face it. So therefore, he doesn't really talk about it. And that's why I, 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 I'll go back to like the idea of the trauma response that is not, you know, like, oh, you know, go to therapy is like, no, motherfucker, this is shit that you need to just suppress. You can't. <laughs> there is no amount of therapy that's going to get you out of this, I think. <laughs> yeah. And this uh, is. Cause, cause, how the fuck do you deal with that? How do you, well, and, and, how do you reach? If we're, if we're to assume, and I, and, and I love how we're we're just slowly turning into, uh, Hadanon here, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out, uh, uh, what's real and what isn't. What's what's again very much like going through a traumatic experience, and um. And it's like, no matter, even if you go through years of therapy, you never know when the fuck it's going to sneak back. The, the trauma is going to sneak back up on you. There is that. But I mean, even more practically. Uh, so, okay. You admit this 
and then you bring all this trouble on your family. Yeah. And uh, granted, they may not be around uh, anymore, or maybe they are, because like uh, Hawes said that um, that Hat had taken him uh, to visit, you know, back back to his hometown, and uh, he always got the feeling that he had invited Hawes along to be a buffer, because he Hawes felt that Hat was deathly afraid of his dad. So, I mean, uh, if he's still alive, you are basically saying uh, you are condemning your your own family. <laughs> you know, like you're you're bringing troubles uh, upon your your family's uh, name, right? And uh, very, uh, you know, very uh, probably you are going to end up having your dad, <laughs> you know, be be questioned for uh, you know what would be what would have been a a, a closed case that uh everyone thought was done with and 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 think about the reprisals to, not just to the family but to the black community that too yeah so i mean you know that that is interesting uh because then he has to take that all pile all that shit on his shoulders and carry it um it's not He's not really a scapegoat. He's more like the sin eater of his yes. entire town. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and, and it kind of returns to the, the, uh, the uh, ironic question that uh, Hat asked before uh, he delved into the story. It's like, do you think we found a good scare? Did we find our scares? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I, I think I think we did, just not in the way we thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, we, we passed over scares and went into the the, the rotting heart of uh, uh, the center of our existence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's 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 it is really sort of like the 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 heart of darkness of the human condition, right? <laughs> sort of like just not not good. Um, but I will say that even though this is definitely like, well, let's face it, most horror, most horror stories worth their salt in my book are just a bad time. Yes. <laughs> so that being said, this is a good time in, in the sense that it is very, very well written. I think we, we'd mentioned that before. It bears repeating. Uh, I would recommend this to anyone. Um, oh, absolutely. It, uh, in part because it's it's got a very uh, like anyone really because uh, well maybe maybe not somebody that's expecting like sl splatter punk or you know like you you know the horror fans that um, that that we're talking about here the the ones that are expecting like a you know like three quarts of blood and uh, you know and, and especially like some sort of supernatural creature and or a supernatural creature uh, being the the heart of it. Um, but this definitely has like a very sort of literary uh, flair to it that I think just about anyone could read. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it's and it's and it's worth not just reading but rereading because it does like like I, like I said at the beginning, it does have that musical movement to it where it reads completely differently each time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. And again, you know, this is this is as close to uh, like a weird jazz inflected uh, story as, as you, you might be able to get. In part because, yeah, like like we we'd mentioned before, it, it does it does reward rereading and it does reward sort of like thinking and maybe even reinterpreting certain things and and seeing what you can find this time around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Ty, I, I, I do want to thank you for, for uh, agreeing to talk about this uh, wonderful story with me with the late, great master Peter Straub. Um, do, do you have anything forthcoming out there? Did, did you want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, you can follow me at uh, Twitter at Feast Last. I'm usually babbling about uh, something horror related. Uh, and uh, recommending various works that need to be checked out. But thank you for having me on. It was good to emerge from my crypt uh, for uh, <laughs> uh, an annual ha- uh, Halloween coming of age. There you so. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So um, in that case, uh, I do want to thank everyone for listening in. If you haven't already, go pick up uh, Peter Straub's collection, uh, where uh, Interior Darkness, where this story, Pork Pie Hat, is included. Um, I, I, I really, there, there's just nothing, nothing bad in there. So uh, thanks for listening in, and we'll catch you next time here on Graveside. <laughs>